Okay, so let's get the mood going here. Imagine it, the coffee machine is bubbling and gurgling away in the corner. There's wood in the hearth and I think I'm going to have to admit defeat and buy a for dummies book to learn how to light it. The smell of musty paper and the subtle sweetness of vanilla is in the air and you're gathered with some of your closest book friends to talk about your latest find. I'm Ray and welcome to another episode of Not Before Coffee, The Bookshop, where I talk about my most recent reads and hopefully encourage you to pick up a copy. It's time for the Goodreads update. Yes, we have one every week now as we get closer to the end of the year. What can I say? It's not been a great week when it comes to reading. I had Sunday when I spent most of the day writing or bemoaning the fact that I hadn't slept very well. Yeah, totally on me. And then Monday came and I was initially thinking that I would get some reading done and instead spent the time I had watching Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I'm now at the end of season four. And then, of course, I was taking a lot of strong painkillers because not only was I exhausted, but I had a repeated visit from a headache, I believe originated in hell. Neither of these things is exactly conducive to getting a lot of reading done, so my count for the week is stuck at one. I really do think that it's time to not exactly admit defeat, but change my number to something a little bit more manageable and realistic. Next year, I will be able to read more, as I will have had the plan from the start, but watching entire TV shows in a week sort of took it out of me. So I threw my own plans off kilter. Yay me! That being said, I will still probably reach around 40 books by the end of the year. A little disappointing for me, but much better than the year. I have a count of just three, and yes, there was one of those. It was an awful year for many reasons. I may possibly manage more if I take some of that time at Christmas to pick up a few of my old favourites, but there'll be bonuses on top. So there you have it, my Goodreads update. Not that impressive, but I am still reading, as is proved by the fact that I am recording this episode. This week, I am heading back a fair distance. No, not to my birth, but actually to the birth of the cosy crime genre itself. Though, no doubt, it was not called that at the very beginning. Last week's Agatha Raisin book reminded me that before Agatha came Jane, though there were a whole lot of people in between. And then I started to remember my dad's love of mysteries in general, and I recalled the last gifts we got him for his birthday, a teddy bear and a book with an apple and a snake on the cover. Being honest, I can't recall with any accuracy the actual title of the book, but I definitely remember the author. It was the queen of crime herself, Agatha Christie. So, did I search to see if I could find the book we'd bought my dad all the way back in 1985? No. Though I have to admit that a few years ago I did search high and low to see if I could pick it out on Abe's books. The issue with books that have been bestsellers for a long time, though, is that the covers are constantly changing. With each reissue, the theme is different, and that's something you can see when you go into a charity shop or a second-hand bookshop and look at the shelves. Any book that has been around long enough to be reissued has at least two different cover styles. 
So, if I'm not going to be talking about my amazing journey to discover the title of that particular book, what novel did I pick up and spend the whole of Saturday reading? I did mention earlier that I had decided to go all the way back to the beginning, and that's exactly what I did. I decided to search through the archives and travelled to 1930 for the first ever novel appearance of a certain Miss Jane Marple in The Murder at the Vicarage. The murder of Colonel Prothero, shot through the head, is a shock to everyone in St Mary Mead, though hardly an unpleasant one. Now, even the vicar who had declared that killing the detested Prothero would be doing the world a large favour is a suspect. The colonel has been dispatched in the clergyman's study, no less. But the picturesque English village of St Mary Mead is overpopulated with suspects. There is, of course, the faithless Mrs Prothero, and there is, of course, her young lover, an artist to boot. Perhaps more surprising than the revelation of the murderer is the detective who will crack the case. A white-haired old lady with a gentle, appealing manner. Miss Jane Marple has arrived on the scene, and crime literature's private men's club of great detectives will never be the same. I have read a fair few Agatha Christie novels in my time. However, it's been a long time, and I think that this is one that I probably saw on TV rather than read on the page. That being said, I honestly couldn't remember who committed the murder, though some of the characters did stick in my memory, such as the daughter of the victim, Latisse, and the vicar's nephew, Dennis, who fancies himself something of a detective. The first thing that struck me when I opened the book was the fact that it was told in the first person. Okay, For me, that's not an issue, though I do know some readers who would immediately put it back on the shelf after discovering that. What's surprising is not this, but the fact that it's not told through the eyes of the character I had initially picked the book up to read about. This book is told through the eyes of the vicar, Reverend Leonard Clement. Because he is the character through whose eyes you see the entire mystery and how it plays out, you don't actually find out his name until a considerable way through the book. In fact, I think I was three quarters of the way through the book when I discovered his full name. Despite being famously referred to as the first Miss Marple book, she doesn't make an appearance until some way through the novel, and even then she has just a few lines. But you do get to know, through the statements of other people, that she is considered to be incredibly observant. If anyone knows anything in St Mary Mead, then it's Miss Marple who sees everything. Thinking about it this way, it would be easy to confuse her for the town busybody, who is in fact a woman called Mrs Price Ridley. Miss Marple is just a very astute student when it comes to the observation of human nature. If you, like me, love to read other cosy crime novels and also absolutely adore TV programmes like Agatha Raisin, The Broken Wood Mysteries and Murder, She Wrote, which is the classic, then you will find many of the plot devices used in Agatha Christie are incredibly familiar, though of course she did them first. There are a lot of misdirects, a number of possible suspects with different but equally as compelling motives and quite often the victim is decidedly unlikable. When I started to read The Murder at the Vicarage, I was immediately struck by the number of similarities between Carsley and St Mary Mead, possibly because The Quiche of Death is my most recent read, but also because these particular similarities truly exist. 
though obviously the locations are fictional. I'm not going to number them all because I do think that both of these books are worth a read and I don't want to give away the murderer in either situation. This is not about spoilers. The summary pretty quickly and cleanly gives away much of the plot. But to be honest, the biggest thing at the centre of any of the books in this genre is the characters and the location. Though this is the debut Miss Marple novel, she had actually appeared in several short stories prior to this. The murder at the vicarage allows us to see Miss Marple put her deductive skills to the test. If I were to narrow the book down to one message, then it would probably be not to underestimate someone because of how they look. Miss Marple sees all and is able to look at a situation and immediately pull it apart to the point where she can see where something isn't right. Does she do that when it comes to the murder of the most distasteful Colonel Prothero? Yes, she does. Is it without flaws? No, it is definitely not. As I have already mentioned, there are multiple misdirects when it comes to solving this particular mystery. The guilty party is incredibly clever. However, it only takes one mistake for someone to get caught, and this murderer is no different. Another thing that I find incredibly interesting about this book, apart from the fact that it is told from an unusual perspective, even as I read it, I had to keep on reminding myself that the I in the text was the vicar, is that all the characters were introduced at the beginning through character observation, but we didn't actually get to meet them all until their purpose in the plot became clear. Another thing that we learn is that despite being a man of God, the vicar isn't actually someone who turns the other cheek. He doesn't like the murder victim and in fact wishes him dead before he's murdered. He is ungenerous when it comes to his opinion of others, and this could easily put him in the role of murder suspect, yet because he is the vicar, he seems to be somewhat immune to accusation. Quite often when it comes to this type of mystery, the central character is seemingly incapable of making any mistakes. That does not prove to be the case when it comes to Miss Marple, however. She has a very definite seven suspects in mind, and though she keeps the actual suspects in her head for a long time, not one of them is actually the culprit. That said, she does aid in the final revelation, and of course, the murderer is caught. The book isn't just about murder and conviction, though. There are several debates throughout, some of which seem rather outdated now, at least in the UK, and are on the topic of capital punishment. The last executions for murder took place in 1964 in the UK, so at the time the fictional Colonel Prothero was shot in the head, his murderer would have been sentenced to death for the crime. When the two officers and the vicar discuss relief at eliminating two people from their inquiries, it is not because they are relieved that these people didn't commit the crime, but rather that they didn't prosecute and sentence two innocent people to die on the gallows. The story doesn't go in too deep when it comes to this topic, but it still touches on their need to be so careful and the question about whether they agree with hanging as a punishment that fits the crime. But less of that, let's move on to lighter topics. Though this felt like a rather unusual introduction to a character, I've always loved her on TV, my preferred version being Joan Hickson, though I also didn't mind Angela Lansbury in The Mirror Cracked. Being fair though, I love Angela Lansbury in pretty much everything. It was an interesting method of introduction, having a character who may or may not be the murderer as the narrator, and the supposed main character as someone he observes and comments on. Did I enjoy it? 
Just like the Agatha Raisin series, I am going to definitely continue to read the Miss Marple books. I have read some before, but I have never read them in order. It's going to be interesting when I re-meet some of the characters in this one in other books, though not many of them do make a reappearance, though the vicar and his wife definitely do. Despite Miss Marple being known for living in St Mary Mead, she does travel outside of the close-knit country village on occasion, so some of the mysteries do take place elsewhere. Miss Marple is an interesting character, but it's nice to know that she isn't always at the centre of it all, as the TV show happens to portray. Yes, they always keep the same killers in the TV adaptations, but sometimes the journey to get there is different, as this book definitely proves. Will I read it again? I probably won't read this one again, being honest. I am going to include Agatha Christie in my reading roster with MC Beaton. And as I am also a fan of the popular Belgian detective, there are a considerable number of new and old books to add to my list. In fact, Agatha Christie wrote 66 novels, all told. Perhaps I should actually create a to-be-read list rather than just looking at my Kindle or my bookshelves and picking out what happens to catch my eye at the time. Eager readers out there, seriously, do you have an actual list showing all the books you've decided are to be read? Or do you pick the one with the cover that you fancy in that moment? Seriously, I would love to hear from you. Post it on Twitter or anywhere else. I really want to know because I need some guidance. I have so many books to read. I think my Kindle to be read count is now... 94 or something and that's not including the complete collection of Miss Marple that I purchased yesterday. Yeah, there's a lot to read. Would I recommend it to other readers? This is one of the first ever cosy crime mystery books and if you love books that follow that particular theme then I would definitely recommend you pick this one up or another written by Christy even if you don't pick up another afterwards. She has a certain style when it comes to her writing and if you're interested in the author behind the books then you will already know that she has a bit of a mystery in her own life when she disappeared for three months in 1926 and no one knows where she went. Agatha Christie is the queen of cosy crime though as crime writer Robert Barnard stated in 1990 our first glimpse of St Mary Mead, a hotbed of burglary, impersonation, adultery and ultimately murder. What is it precisely that people find so cosy about such stories? Okay, he has a bit of a point, but then isn't that the underbelly of most places? And these things only tend to come out when the worst events occur. All of that being said, I would still recommend you pick up a book by Agatha Christie, whether it's this one or something Poirot, Thomas and Tuppence Beresford, or even her own Harley Quinn, who does not wield a baseball bat covered in barbed wire and appeared on paper 62 years before the latter was introduced. I am going to be back on Thursday with a review of another romantic comedy. In fact, I've already picked it out and I think I'm going to watch it tonight. I said that last week. I think I'm still going to watch it tonight. I'm really looking forward to talking about it as I know it's going to prove to be a fun watch. I hope that you've all had a fantastic week and I have now had my B12 injection so I am starting to feel just that little bit more human than I was last week which is a massive bonus. 
It's incredible what a difference a single injection can make. From giving me energy to clearing my brain just that little bit more. I have to be honest, I couldn't even remember the word program last week. That's how bad it had become. I am definitely much better now. Well, the last cup has gone in the dishwasher. The closed sign has been turned around. So it's time to end this, another episode of The Bookshop. I hope you enjoyed it and will come back again for more. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family and please post a review or give the show a star rating over on Podchaser. No feedback is bad feedback if it's constructive. You can follow me on Twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs, on Instagram at notbeforecoffeepodcast or over on Good Pods, which I joined a few weeks ago at notbeforecoffee. I have to go and pick out another book from the shelf for next week and settle down with another hot cup of coffee. Until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.